0: Hi, hey guys. Good morning. Good to see you. Good All right. So we are in the book of Ruth, and as this Ruth is uh, it's uh, it's going to be a bit of a respite from what we've been going through with the with the Torah, and we're getting into the histories. Uh, the we have killed a lot of people. Like tens of thousands of people have died through uh, through the last uh, few books that we've dealt with, and in the book of Ruth, only three people die. So th- there, we, that's. Yeah, and we don't even know why they died. They just, they just kind of died. So uh, it's a bit of a respite, and it's good. And Ruth is so sweet. It is such an amazing book. And here's the thing. Um, I, For the life of me, I can't figure out why Ruth is in the Bible. I mean, I know it fits. I know it's, it's, it has so much to teach us. Like, there are secrets in the book of Ruth that we can learn. I mean, very practical stuff that we can apply to our life. But if I look at it from, I hate to say it this way, but if I look at it from an intellectual vantage point or cultural, it shouldn't be in there. It doesn't make any sense to me, and I'll explain why at the end. But if you want to get your Bibles out, let's look at uh, chapter 1. Verse 16. You might be familiar with this. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where I go, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. It's very touching. I'll tell you, I'll give you the... Um, I'll give you the historical or the storyline. The storyline story goes like this. In Bethlehem, there was a family, Elimelech and his wife Naomi. Elimelech's name, is, it, it translates as to uh, God is my king. But he actually contradicts his very own name because he doesn't act like it. And then there's his wife Naomi, and her name translates to sweet. So Naomi is sweet. Sweetness. Wouldn't that be a good name to have for a girl? You're just sweet, right? And they have two sons Malion and Kilion. Okay? And so um, it, they're in the promised land. This is the time of the judges. So we're right in the same historical context. We are, um, you know, it's the time of Deborah and it's the time of Samson. And, 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 um, you know, Gideon and, and Jephthah, as we learned about last week. So it's the same time period, and there is no unity in the land. The, the Israel has no king, right? Everybody does as they see fit. Everybody does as they please. And Elimelech, whose name is God is my king, says, you know what? Uh I am not making it like I think I should. There is a famine in the land, is what the Bible says. And Elimelech packs up and he leaves his inheritance. He sells his property. And he, you know, he literally crosses over to the other side, where the grass is greener. He goes into Moab. He takes his whole family into the land of Moab, and him and Naomi begin to set up camp. Their sons, Malion and Kilion, they marry Moabite women, our our heroess, our heroine is what you would call them, uh, Ruth and Orpah, Moabite ladies. All right, so if you've been been with us the, the past six or seven weeks, especially if you were here for Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, what's the problem? We have a big, major, huge, colossal problem. What's the problem, class? That's it. They married out of the nation out of the people of Israel. And if you remember Levitical law and I went over this, this is a big no-no. It's written in the rule book. You cannot marry outside of Israel. Especially especially and there's a there's a in, in Deuteronomy 23 especially Moabites. Particularly Moabites. Like they get a, they have the Moabites have a special little curse. You know why? Uh, Remember Numbers? Remember the heresy of the Baal of Peor? Remember that horrible heresy? Where the men of Israel prostituted themselves to the gods of Moab. Now the Moabites were, um, they weren't necessarily mean and nasty like the Canaanites. They didn't have chariots, but they were annoying. And throughout the scriptures, uh, Moab is always called the burden of Israel. And they're they're annoying. They do fights. They go into wars. There's conflict. There's there's uh, there's you know there's blood feuds. And then there is their gods. There is Chemosh and Baal Pure, and they are fertility gods. And when the heresy of Pure happened, it was it, it is so horrendously disgusting that we can't even talk about it. But for some reason, the Israelite guys thought, you know what, this is gonna be a lot of fun, we're gonna go party, and they did. And so, this is a huge problem, isn't it? Why is it that I can't figure out why Ruth made it into the Holy Scriptures? Because one, not only is she a woman, how many women get get a title of a book? Only a few, like her and Esther, right? Is there any more? I'm not sure. No, that's it. Okay? So it's it's hard enough as it is to be a woman in the ancient world and to get a book named after you. But a pagan? Do you see why this is? I'm trying to get my head around this, right? And in Deuteronomy 23, it says, A Moabite... Or an Ammonite will never take part in the assembly of the Lord. And even to the 10th generation, if these Moabites have have kids with Israelites, even to the 10th generation, they will not be able to go into the presence of the Lord or to to do church. They can't do church. You see why this is a huge problem. So not only do they do church, but this is not called the book of Boaz. It's called the book of Ruth. And I want to know why. What is, what is what's, what's this trying to tell us? All right, so here's the rest of the story. And this is, again, this is maybe why that maybe there's some character flaws with Father Elimelech. Gets a little rough. He says, you know what? I want to make some money. Let's go over to Moab. Let's maybe marry our sons off to Moabite women. Uh, I don't know if, you, if you're a history major, why do you, I'm a history major, but if you follow this kind of stuff, why do you do this? Why do kings marry their, their daughters to other princesses? It's for political and economic reasons, right? So that's probably what was going on. So they thought it was economically advantageous for our sons to marry Moabite women so that we can make money, right? So in the the ancient world, you did not marry for love. You just didn't. I mean, the whole concept of romantic love didn't really exist. You married to produce children, and family is everything. And the family name is everything. So the little clues that are going on as to why maybe Elimelech and maybe even Naomi, we don't know, but I think Naomi was, I think Naomi followed the Lord, but maybe Elimelech didn't. Is that, you know, you, does it sound familiar in our culture? Usually it's the lady that is the spiritual head of the house and not the man, but their sons, Malion and Kilion. Um, what's the big deal about that? There's a clue here. Because, does that sound like uh, like a little Jewish name like Reuben or Asher? No. Um, these are Canaanite names. So they named their sons after the Canaanite after Canaanite probably deities or some sort. So they're compromising. They're falling prey to the culture. They're 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 turning their back on God's promise and they they're going over into greener pastures they're immigrants and the rest of the story it the tragedy falls Elimelech dies, and then shortly after, the two sons die, and Naomi is a widow. She's destitute. She has absolutely nothing because her husband sold their land in Israel, and they gambled everything at Moab, and their sons died. She has nothing. And if you're an ancient woman, your identity and your value and your self-worth and your very survival, your economic survival depends 100% on your family and specifically your husband and then your sons. So your sons are supposed to take care of you too. So she has nothing except for her two daughter-in-laws her pagan <laughs> daughter-in-laws. That's all that she has. And then, of course, you know, if uh, if would have been wise, and if he just would have stayed in the place, in his promise, if he would have just stuck it out a little bit longer, he would have been blessed because a blessing pours out on the land, and they do get news that that, that people are prospering once again in Israel. And so, so Ruth is, or Naomi's like, you know what, I'm going to try and go back. And this is what she does. She looks at her daughter-in-laws, these um, Moabites, and the Bible is very over and over and over again. It always calls Ruth a Moabite, the Moabite Ruth, the Moabite Ruth, the Moabite Ruth. And she looks at her daughters and she says, um, you guys need to stay here. I'm going to try and go back home. I'm going to try and get to the last place that God has called me. Um, you ever try and figure out what God's will is for your life, and you ever hear that, or maybe you don't hear God's voice? And it's like, God, where are you leading me? Where are you guiding me? I don't know where, what I'm supposed to do or where I'm supposed to go. I, I don't have any concept of what, what, what your will is. And dad says, my dad, Pastor Larry, dad says, if you don't hear God's voice, then you need to continue doing the last thing that he told you to do, and you need to be faithful in that. Instead of just, you know what, rolling the dice, going out into nothingness, and you know, and we say it's a leap of faith, but it's really foolishness. It's actually really rebellion, unless we actually move into areas where God has actually called us to move into. So you're trying to figure out what God's will is? Just do the last thing God called you to do. And if Elimelech would have done that, he would have prospered. But instead, he turned his back on God and he died. (laughs) So Naomi's headed back. And she does something that is so powerful. And it is is character. character. You know the amazing thing about this book? Is that, yeah, okay, only three people die. That's amazing. There are no miracles. Uh, There is no angel of the Lord. There's no one really prays. Uh, There is no, God does not intervene in miraculous ways. Folks, this is just real life. These are real people making very important decisions, life changing decisions, and Jesus is not there saying, You need to do this. But wouldn't it be nice, right? I tend to live my life this way because like, we have decisions and we have to make choices and some of them are life-altering and we just expect that, that God's going to give us this special prophetic word and it's gonna be crystal clear and we're not gonna have any confusion, right? Isn't that what we really want? We don't wanna step out in faith. We don't wanna just do the right thing. We want God to bless are bad decisions. There's right decisions and there's wrong decisions. And sometimes it's just that simple. And sometimes you don't even need to pray about it because you know what the right decision is. Naomi knows that the right decision, the selfless. The Christ-like decision is to cut her daughter-in-laws off. The only thing that she has, her only chance of physically surviving is to say, Daughters, I'm going to cut you off. Your son, my sons, your husbands are dead. This is your chance to start over again. Go back into your community Try to find yourselves some husbands. You're still young. You're still beautiful. You can make something of your lives. But as for me, I'm an old lady. My life is over. And she's as good as dead. And she knows it. Yet she cuts these girls loose. Her only source, her only lifeline. Orpah leaves. Orpah goes back to her her clan, right? And then we never hear from her again. But Ruth says that to her. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Then it gets really interesting for a pagan princess. This pagan princess says, your God will be my God, right? Generic capital G, God. Elion will be my God. Not Chemosh anymore, but Elian will be my God. And then she says something very specific that we all need to get. She says, may the Lord, so she went from God to Lord, right? May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if I do not fulfill my oath to you. All right, class, what does Lord mean? What is she really saying? Do You remember? What's the translation of Lord? Nope. 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 (laughs) 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 Yahweh. It's Yahweh or no way. (laughs) Whenever you see Lord in the Bible, it is moving it from the generic, abstract, big concept of God into the personal God, Yahweh, who wants to go into a personal relationship with you and with the people of God. When the angel of the Lord shows up, that's Yahweh. It could even be Jesus. It is the physical manifestation, reflection, Appearance of God himself that wants to have a tangible, physical relationship with us. It's Jesus. Yahweh. The, 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 you know, whenever we say we need to get into the word of God, right? The word of God. And, and, you know, I think we get a misconception. It's not the Bible when we say we need to get into the word of God. It is that we need to get into Jesus because Jesus is, he is the word. And when they refer, they actually, they didn't even say Yahweh. They didn't even spell it out, Yahweh. Um, our Bibles will say Yahweh. If you have a heretical Bible, it says Jehovah. I'm just kidding. If your Bible says Jehovah, you're completely okay. But it's Yahweh, folks. Um, <laughs> Uh, But they didn't even pronounce the name. They spelled it Y-H-W-H, and they wouldn't even say the word of God. Ancient, or Jews today say that if you could figure out actually how to pronounce God's name or Yahweh's name or the Logos, if you could say Logos, if you could say the name of God, then, then heaven opens up and everything's over and it's, 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 it's done. We're in heaven. It's heaven on earth. If we could actually say the word of the Lord. That's the power behind the word. So there's power. There's actually power in the name of Jesus. Like even though it's, a, it's kind of a, like a generic name, there's power in that name of Jesus. All right, so Ruth is converted at this point because she says, Yahweh, uh, may Yahweh deal with me ever so severely if I back out on my commitment to you. And the, the book also says that Ruth clung to Naomi. And there's only one other time where this word clung is used And that is when Eve clung to Adam. Last time I preached this, I had somebody leave the church because they thought I was promoting lesbianism, which I'm not. (laughs) But that's what the word of God says, and I preach the word of God. Hmm? That is how intense and how special and how intimate this relationship was between a mother and a daughter-in-law. And in and of it itself, that's a miracle, right? Can I get an amen on that one? That's a miracle. That is an act of God. But there was something about Naomi, the way that she buried her husband and her two sons, the way, the grace that was in her, there was something about her that attracted Ruth. A pagan Moabite to what was inside of her heart, and she wanted it. And she knew, in order for her to know God in a personal way, to know Yahweh, that she had to cling to Ruth. She had to go into—ready for this—friendship. See, this is an. This is the clinging is a very uh, intimate embrace. And it is, it is a, a friendship bond. In reality, we, all, we don't really have that many friends in life. You only get a shot at a few good friends. And don't screw them up. And I speak from experience. I've like screwed up some really good friendships in my life. And it breaks my heart that I've done it. I'm just a bad friend at times. But you know what? You might get a... You might get a buzz from worship this morning, or you might be inspired by this message, hopefully, but it will not transform your life unless you leave this building, and if you connect with a friend, and you talk about the goodness of God together. That's, uh, like, what we do in worship and what we do in a sermon is, is just ammunition. But transformation only happens when you live it out, when you talk it out, when you do life together, when you're when you're clung to one another in friendship, when you save one another, when you redeem one another. Naomi saved Ruth. Led her. Is this story about evangelism? Yeah, it is. Partly it is. Did Ruth evangelize? Did she evangelize? I'm sorry, did Naomi evangelize Ruth with, with guilt and shame and with apologetics and with proving the Bible and the case for Christ or the case for the resurrection? No. no Naomi converted, evangelized Ruth through friendship. She didn't have a Bible She didn't know much about God besides what they learned around the campfire. Elimelech was not a good father. He was not a good leader. He compromised. He sold out. He valued money more than relationship, more than being faithful to God. And and Ruth is able to see this. So Naomi saves Ruth. But guess what? Ruth saves Naomi because she's a dead woman, there's no way that she can go across the desert. She's an old lady. She can't work. She's not going to be able to marry again. She has no value. She has no property. Yet she, Ruth, says, where you go, I will go. And where you die, I will die. And this is, I think this is important. Uh, uh, most of us in the room are immigrants. Like, if you live in California, you're pretty much an immigrant, right? And we all have stories. My family came here from Oklahoma during the Dust Bowl because there was a famine in the land. And in in California, there was hope because there was cotton fields. My dad and my grandparents, they picked cotton and they worked in the oil rigs. They had to make it, and they did. There was hope here, but there was death in Oklahoma. And so they came here for a better life right? And most of us do. And do, I know immigration, and I know that's like a hot topic right now, but do you blame them? Like, if I was in Syria, I would get here. (laughs) I would sneak in. I would crawl under barbed wire. I would climb fences. I would get here because there's hope here, and there's death other places, all right, but this you got to see this. Ruth was a princess, right? How do I know this? Well, because okay, so uh, they married, you know, they married the two sons, and okay, how, do you, how does that that doesn't really make her a princess, all right? Uh, Ruth's soon-to-be boyfriend and then husband Boaz, which we'll get to in a second. Boaz notices her and says, "You of noble character." So that's another clue. Is it absolute? Am I reading into it? I actually, I don't think so. You have noble character. And then, all right, I'll, I'll just spoiler alert, okay? You, you probably know this if you know the story. Um, Ruth marries Boaz. They go back to, they go back to Israel, and they, they, Boaz becomes their savior, marries Boaz, and Ruth and Boaz have a child, named Obed. And Obed has a child. Um, Oh goodness, what's his name? Jesse. Jesse. And Jesse has a child named David. King David, soon to be King David. But before David was king, there was King Saul. And you know the story, King Saul was jealous because David kills giants and, and David could play the guitar really nice. So there's jealousy going on. And Saul hunts David down all over the country. And David says, I need to protect my mother and father. Maybe you didn't know this. But I don't know. If bad guys are trying to kill you, you're going to want to protect your family. And then you're going to send your family away, right? You understand the concept? So David sends his mom and dad away. And guess where David sends them? to the king of Moab. Interesting, right? So I think that, uh, I think Ruth was a princess or a noble of some sort. I think the clues are all there. It never says that she was a peasant. It never says that she was a lowlife. She's got to be of some noble character. That's what the Bible says. That's what I'm going with. Now, she's an immigrant. She is immigrating from a good situation as being somebody that has a chance she could probably remarry we know that she's attractive she can get another husband in her own people group and with the Moabites so she's got hope yet she abandons everything she has because of what she sees in Naomi and she goes and she follows her to Israel to Judah and why is that a big deal? It's because we hate their stinking guts. That's why. Because they are responsible. The Moabites are responsible for the heresy of Baal Peor, where the men of Israel went whoring after the gods of Moab. Because they went, they fought, and they slaughtered, and they, they, there was there was war between them. Did I talk about Deuteronomy twenty-three yet? I did. Okay, I mentioned it. Deuteronomy 23 says a Moab will never go into the presence of God. Yet Ruth does. And her children too. Do you understand why I can't figure out why this book belongs in the Bible? Because it's about a pagan. And it's titled after a pagan. And they break Levitical law. Because... Ruth, the Moabite pagan, marries Boaz from the tribe of Judah. How does this happen? Well, okay, so Boaz is what we call a kinsman redeemer. He's going, it is, it is his job to protect the family and he is related to Naomi, and so he feels obligated to protect the family, but there's also this intimate relationship. They might even like each other, Boaz and Ruth. I think they kind of did, it reads that way. It reads like there's some type of an affection or attraction there, even though Boaz is an old guy and Ruth is a young, pretty girl. There's some type of attraction there, and Boaz protects her. See, when Ruth goes in to Israelite territory, She's risking her very life. She has nothing. And the Israelites want to kill her. And in fact, Boaz says, uh, you know what, honey? You need to stay with my ladies. And Boaz goes to his men, his, the people that work for him. Boaz goes to the people that work for him and says, you cannot touch her. You cannot kill her. You cannot rape her. If you do, you're fired. Or Or worse. So Boaz actually has to protect Ruth's very own life from the people of God because it's the temptation that she is going to taint the culture. She is going to pervert the cult because she is a Moabite and they worship Chemosh. Let's put it into our, our context right here. How do you feel about Muslims coming into our country? It makes a lot of people feel very uncomfortable. It's the same thing that's going on. We hate them. We wanna kill them. (laughs) Would you marry one? All right, let me push on you a little bit harder. (laughs) All right. um, So Naomi plays matchmaker, right? And uh, she says, all right, obviously Boaz likes you, and he sees that you're a woman of noble birth. And, uh, okay, so this is what you do. All right, do we have any single ladies in the house? You're not a single lady. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. Hope not. (laughs) All right, here's dating tips from Naomi. This is what you do if you want to get a man. You you, you sneak into their house at night, and you crawl under their bed when they're sleeping. And then you uncover their feet. It's in the Bible, right? That's how you get a man. And as a youth pastor, there's all kinds of biblical dating books. This story is not in there, in any of them. Uh, Did they have carnal relations? Probably not. Is, but no, uh, uh, Ruth says something very interesting. She says, okay, so she uncovers her feet. I, that's, I don't know what that's about. I mean, people say that it's about something, but we really don't know. It, you can read between the lines. We don't know, okay? But what we do know is Ruth says, uh, when, when uh, Boaz wakes up, it's like, what? how'd this hot chick get in my bed? <laughs> if you ever say that to me, I won't believe you, by the way. <laughs> I don't know how this woman get into my bed. I don't know, That's. All right. Anyway. Um, Ruth says, will you, will you put your blanket over me? What's that supposed to mean? Uh, it, we might not get it, but they did. Whenever you say, I want you to cover me with your blanket. That means I want you to put your mantle over me. I want your your covering over me, right? You know what she's saying? She's saying, marry me. This is huge. This is a woman asking a man to marry her. And she says, because you are Naomi's kinsman redeemer. You are here to save Naomi, to save her land, to redeem her land, to redeem her life, to redeem her inheritance. And sure enough, Boaz does and he becomes their redeemer. Isn't that cool? And out of that, not only do they have, uh, oh, by the way, um, who is Boaz's mom? Do you guys remember that from two weeks ago? Who's Boaz's mom? Rahab. So David has a Canaanite prostitute as as a, a relative, and a Moabite princess as a relative, they have, and then they have David, and then they have Jesus. And it seems like, like the whole book contradicts the law. Why is this book in here? If I was a scribe, if I was a Jewish scribe, if I am trying to promote and preserve my cult, I don't mean that in a weird way. That's what the religion, the religious institution, if I'm trying to preserve my religious institution and the nation of Israel, why in the world would I include this book about Ruth? Why would I give not only a, a book to a woman, but why would I give a book to a pagan? I believe, this is why I think the Bible is so cool, I believe that this scribe, and this is, this is my imagination, so he gets it either orally or he gets it maybe written down. I'm not quite sure how it came to it. Uh, uh, structurally, this, this, the, the book is a masterpiece. You can read it in about 15 minutes. But as a, as a piece of literature, it, it is, it's high literature in the, in the scriptures. It's amazing. It really is. Um, so he gets it. Maybe he was even tempted I'm going to leave it out. But the holy this is all my imagination folks. But the holy spirit came in and convicted him because the Bible is not written by men. The Bible is written by the holy spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, you are going to include that book about that faithful woman who sacrificed her entire life, her wealth, because she wanted to connect with God's people. Because the book isn't necessarily about Ruth and her good actions. The book isn't necessarily about a cool guy named Boaz who saved the situation. The book isn't about an immigrant named Naomi who overcame death. The book is about Jesus because Ruth acts like Jesus. Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. He saves the situation. He acts like Jesus. Naomi saves Ruth. She acts like Jesus. And in fact, their very lineage produces Jesus. And a relationship with Jesus trumps the law. Can I get an amen? amen. Relationship trumps the law, and God wants to have a relationship with you, not a contract or a covenant. Jesus came to fulfill the covenant and to move us into a personal relationship with him. The book is about grace. The book is about saving people that don't don't deserve to be saved, Ruth doesn't deserve to be saved. Her nation is a disgrace. It's an abomination. She took part in horrible acts of things that are disgusting. But the book is about grace and redemption. She saw hope in the people of God. She was saved by a friendship with an old lady where she clung to her and wouldn't let go. Even if death was going to separate them. You see how cool the book is? The story is amazing. It's not just a touching story, it's a story about us. It's a story about grace. It's a story about Jesus saving us. All right. So I get the band and the ushers come to the front. Do you have a. Do you have a situation in your life that needs to be redeemed? It can be. Do you have a relationship that needs to be healed? It can be. One of the visions that that I got both in first service and second service um, was of the heart. Because God looks at the heart, and he looked at Ruth's heart, She wasn't a Jew, she didn't deserve salvation, but he looked at her heart, and our hearts can, it's the number one thing that keeps us from relationship with one another and with God, because the bitterness seeps in. Naomi's name, which is sweet, she changed, she thought it would be a good idea to change her name to Mara, and remember when the Israelites were at the streams of Mara, and they drank bitter water? Naomi began to drink bitter water because her husband and her sons had died and she had no hope for the future. But Ruth saved her from those bitter waters and once again softened her heart and she put her child in Naomi's hand and it said that Naomi had a child. It was Ruth's child. It said Naomi had a child. And then it says, Ruth is better than seven sons. Seven is the perfect number. So, what it's really saying is, Ruth is better than the perfect family. Could you imagine the idealistic Brady Bunch perfect family? Well, relationship with God trumps even family. That's what the story is about. God is more more important. He trumps family, he trumps religions, he trumps cultures, he's okay with ethnic marriages, obviously, it's amazing. It's perfectness, it's perfection and we get to head into that direction. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being with us and touching our hearts. And so God, right now, I just speak into the hearts that, are, that are, have been hardened by bittered water. So God, right now, I know that the, a lot of our hearts have been broken up, that have been um, shaken up, uh, scrunched up a bit. And so there's, there's cracks in our hardness where, where we're feeling the, the presence of the Holy Spirit not only touch our hearts, but even like just seep into our pores and just to emanate into our bodies. And so God, I know that we have felt you in a very powerful way this morning. And so we just ask that you just pour out more of your spirit and that you would just begin to continue to loosen up the hard edges of our heart so that it can be soft again, so that we can feel again, so that we can love again, so that we can, so we can take a risk and go into friendships that, that might seem you know, risky, that we might get hurt. But God, right now, we know that that is the better way. That is the sacrificial way. So just move us into a deeper relationship, a deeper friendship with your son, Jesus, and a deeper friendship with our brothers and sisters. And thank you for showing us that there is hope beyond all hope. We love you, Lord. Bless this offering in the name of Jesus.